This morning we find ourselves back in uh, the letter uh, written to what is clearly uh, a group of primarily Jewish believers uh, who may have lived in some large city. We don't know. There are those who speculate that this church was in Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, if you remember, Alexandria was built some 300 years before Christ by Alexander the Great. Um, it was a major cultural center. Uh, it was also a city that had a strong Jewish population. And uh, church tradition tells us that John Mark, the missionary companion of Paul and Barnabas, preached the gospel there. Uh, what does all this have to do uh, with that? Well, these may be individuals who had heard the witness and testimony of Peter uh, through Mark's gospel as he preached. But ever how they received the gospel, these are folks who had heard the gospel and who had believed in Christ Jesus. What I want us to make sure of is that even if this uh, is not uh, the the true historical framework, meaning that they were not in Alexandria or they were not in a larger city, but they were in a small city. Whatever it is, these are real people that this letter is going to. And they are people with real problems and real struggles and there are real challenges to their faith. You know, faith in Christ, and I've been thinking about it over the course of the last several weeks, particularly just being in this text, faith in Christ always comes at a cost. I want you to hear that. Faith in Christ always comes at a cost. If it is genuine saving faith, it always brings challenges. And these challenges, mind you, will vary in degree but it will never be easy to be a believer. Now certainly there are some environments that seem less threatening, and, and, the, and they are. But remember, even in Eden, temptation came to Eve. Since Lucifer rebelled against God, there has been an ongoing challenge to the authority of God. And since creation and the temptation of the first image bearers of God, there has been an attempt to usurp the authority of God, to foil His plan of redemption, and to destroy those who purpose at all costs to honor God. I want you to hear that again. To destroy those whose purpose at all costs is to honor God. That's what Hebrews is encouraging these, these believers. This letter is sent to encourage those who should be purposing at all cost to honor God. There is cost in faith. There's cost in believing. Remember, Jesus himself gave fair warning as to what it means to follow him. He put it in terms of cross-bearing, being hated, being persecuted, and even at times rejected by family. So we shouldn't be surprised to hear of the threat of life that is being talked about as the author of Hebrews is warning of the persecution that is to come and all that would take place in their lives. James wrote, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And this has been the message of the author of Hebrews. Let's turn to our text today and let's read chapter 11, verse 39, and then the first four verses of chapter 12. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now by now, <clears throat> by now we should recall some of the points of the ongoing exhortation. We've already read them. I just want to point out one in particular. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, we hear, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, lending you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now the very fact that the author of Hebrews is exhorting to take care lest there be any of you uh, in any of you an evil unbelieving heart points to the fact that this was not just a possibility but that there was a a very strong probability that these things were about to take place in the life of this body of believers in the lives of individuals and then in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, we hear, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. And we'll get here next week, but in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 12, we hear, Therefore lift your drooping hands, and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. You see, what we see here is a real need and encouragement on the part of these believers. These believers were showing signs of struggling. Notice they're being warned of sin and evil that can easily entangle them. And it's clear that this sin has at least begun to hinder their spiritual maturation. In other words, their spiritual development and growth is being hindered by these things that are taking place in their life. And not in that, it has weakened their fellowship, their ministry, and their church. Don't forget, this is part of why we heard just a few weeks ago in chapter 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to loving good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All along we're hearing this language of persevering and pushing forward because sin is a, a, a strong likelihood in the life of these people. And some are struggling, and some may fall away. And it has certainly affected the spiritual development of the church, of the believers, and that has affected their fellowship and their ministry, and has affected their mission. Now we've heard why it's important to persevere to the end. And here's why. Only those who persevere to the end receive the promise. Okay? Genuine saving faith, that is, faith that perseveres and doesn't turn back, is the faith that will enable or finds the, 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 the pleasing eye of God. And our text that we just read pointed to that. Let's look at a few things from this text. First, we see that this faith that is being talked about that we defined a couple of weeks ago that we looked at in more detail last week, we see that the life of faith is spoken of in terms of a race. We are told to run the race with endurance. Now think about that for just a moment. It requires effort. For those of you who have run, we a brother in Christ here that just finished a kind of a race, but a track uh, uh, across a, a, a country, not running, but riding his bike. And it requires effort. It requires work. It offers challenges. 
And every racer knows that there are certain circumstances that factor in to how difficult the race will be. There's always the course to consider. Uh, is it a hard course? Is it an easy course? Uh, uh, is there a lot of elevation? What, something about the course. And there are weather factors that play into how difficult race day may actually be. The point is, is that there is nothing easy about running. And the point that the author of Hebrews is trying to say, there is nothing easy about this life of faith. Faith is not about ease in life. Faith, genuine saving faith, is something that is lived out in the course of the circumstances, the struggles, and the difficulties of life. We just prayed for a group of people that we don't know. But we prayed for them knowing that at this very moment, there are grieving people going through hardship and difficulty in the course of their lives, trying to reason in some ways, how could this happen? Why would this happen? And why was it my family member? Why has it affected me? All of those are difficult and hard questions that really go to the heart of who this individual is and ultimately, as we will see and we already know, all of this has to do with where they are in the way of God. Who God is. Why has this come about? Uh, I recalled the, uh, the portion of the song that we sang just a moment ago, how God has designed all of these hardships designed these difficulties for one purpose, and that is to strengthen to us to look to Him, to trust in Him. And that's true of every individual. Everything that comes about in the course of this life comes at a place for us to look to God. We recognize that. But we recognize that faith is about Living, and living is being equated here to running a race. That should not fall on us as something uh, that we do not hear, but to recognize that the Bible never speaks of faith in Christ as a beginning and an ending with a decision that is only a one-time event. And I make mention of that. We have said that before, but we need to hear it again. Saving faith isn't confirmed by a date that a prayer was prayed or that a baptism occurred. And these are important things. But that is not faith. Faith is about a life that is lived out in the same way that a race is run. We go to it and we run it and we run it to the end and life is that way, and faith and trusting God is seen as that way. Now let's be clear. Uh, we're not speaking about just life being lived out to the end. If that's the case, everyone perseveres. Janice and I attended her uncle's memorial service yesterday. He was 90 years old. He lived a long life. And to some degree, we could say that he persevered to the end. That's not what the author of Hebrews is talking about. We are all going to make it to the end. That end may come today or that end may come, for some of you, may come 90 years from now. But somewhere in there we will make it to the end and those days have already been numbered. That's not what the author of Hebrews is talking about because there is a sense in which everyone perseveres to the end in some way. What we're looking at is what does it mean in relation to our faith, our trusting in God, our trusting in the atoning work of Christ. Remember, we just looked at a whole chapter in chapter 11 where the Holy Spirit pointedly recalls the names of persons who lived and died, or at least all of them with the exception of one. Remember, there was one that did not die, that set them apart from everyone else that's not mentioned. And what set them apart was not the fact that they just made it to the end, but that they trusted in God to the end. Look there in verse 39. We read it just a moment ago. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. That, that was kind of the summary statement here. 
is that they made it to the end. They trusted in God. They were commended by God. In other words, they pleased God. And yet, even in the course of that, they did not and have not yet received what is promised. They still haven't received what has been promised. They will, but they haven't yet. The point is, is that not every person living is commended by God. Not every person living is commended by God. And not every person who dies is commended by God. Only those who have trusted in God and His atoning work in Christ Jesus. They are the ones that are commended by God. So a life of faith is a life of living and living out that faith. In other words, living trusting all the way to the end. Now the second thing this text helps us understand, and it's important, and that is how life is seen. In other words, what is the context for life? Now I want you to think about this with me for just a moment. Uh, I've been thinking about this over the last three or four days. How do you view life? Whenever you think about your life, what context do you have for even giving consideration to life? Well, I just get up and live. Well, no, you may just get up and live, but you view your life in some kind of a framework, in some kind of a context. And here's what we know, is how we view our life, in other words, in what context we view our life, will determine the shape of our life. I believe the author of Hebrews gives us two points here that are packaged together that we need to look at that should give every believer, should be every person, but certainly every believer gives them the framework of the context for their life. Notice these two things. One, it says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Look there in verse 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, therefore, in this cloud of witnesses, looking back, are those individuals that have been mentioned. But I don't think it excludes others. But I think specifically it is talking about those that were mentioned in chapter 11. The author is pointing back to those that he just mentioned. Now, for us to understand what's being said here, we do have to give some consideration as to what is he saying about this cloud of witnesses. Well, just think about it. It can be looked at at least two different ways. First, there is one use of the word witness uh, that can mean uh, that these people are up there watching on and looking on as if in the course of a race, the race is being run in a stadium and all these witnesses are looking down and they're cheering everybody on. And that seems encouraging, and certainly it is. But the reality of that is, is there's nothing else in Scripture that would cause us to believe that this is what's taking place. And as encouraging as it may seem, it's not real and probably not realistic. So what does it mean? Well, I believe that at least that it means this, is that these individuals that have been mentioned serve as a testimony of those who have gone before us who have lived lives of faith. It's kind of like you go into a coliseum somewhere uh, where they've played basketball. And let's just say, since we have some Carolina fans, and maybe even some Duke fans here, but we have some Carolina fans, uh, you walk into uh, the Dean Dome, and I've never been there, so I don't know. I'm just assuming this is the way that it is. You go in there somewhere in the Dean Dome are displayed probably the jerseys of those who have been retired over the course of the years, those who really stood out. And then there are probably banners of the tournaments that have been won, and all of those are there. Now, those represent something. They represent the fact that there are those who have gone before that have played hard and who have excelled. 
They are not up there as saying that these individuals or these teams are now rooting for us. They are simply being displayed to say that these are those that have gone before us that have excelled. In other words, these are testimonies of victories of the past. And that's what we're looking at here. We're looking at the list of names of individuals not to be followed, not to be worshipped, but as individuals who stand as a testimony, as a witness of what it is to live by faith. In other words, they are a part of a group of people, and here's where it even breaks down here. It won't even work for us in the way of walking into the Dean Dome and maybe seeing Michael Jordan's number uh, uh, being, uh, being set aside and being displayed up there uh, as if to say that Michael Jordan was the, uh, was the goat, the greatest of all time, if that's the case. But it is to say that these men and women who are mentioned stand as witness and testimony of those who have lived by faith and now what is being said is you are a part of that group. In other words, there is this ongoing work and you are a part of this group. So, at least here we recognize that in the context of our lives that for those who believe, for those who uh, trust in God, that we are a part of something larger, we are a part of a larger group. The second thing we hear that helps us shape and see some kind of context here, and we've already mentioned it, is that it is to be looked at, life is to be looked at as a race. There is an ongoing endeavor. Now put these two things together, as I was thinking through it this week, put these two things together, and what do we begin to understand? Well, we begin to see and understand that the context for our lives should at least be that the life of a believer is a life of faith with attention being given to living lives of faith, pursuing the glory of God now and the glory of God to come when the end comes. That's the context for our living. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Is that the way you see your life? Do we view our lives as part of a larger work here where we are included in and connected to other individuals, those who have trusted God before us and those who are trusting God now and we are linked together with them and the context of our life in the way that we live and the way that it is shaped is to pursue our living and trusting in God in everything to the end for His glory now and to be in the presence of Him for eternity. And there's a third thing that this text does. It points us to something else that's significant. And that is, is this work is not complete until all the people of faith have completed the race. Look back in verse 40. Well, let's look at 39 and 40. And all these, meaning all of these who stand as witness and testimony, though commended by their faith, that's huge there, they're commended by their faith. In other words, they have, they have pleased God and God has commended them versus condemning them. They did not receive what was promised. That's what the author keeps telling us. Since God had provided something better, notice what he says, for us. He doesn't point back to them. Since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Have you ever thought through that? I think most of us would have a tendency as we reading that is that we read it not paying attention to the words and what is being stated there is that, okay, God promised them something better. They haven't gotten it yet, but they're going to get it without relation to us, meaning without relation to this audience who is receiving this letter. And if we carry that out to understand what it means, without it having anything to do with us. Well, well, what does it have to do with us? In fact, 
what did it have to do with the people who, the, the, the Jewish people who are receiving this letter for the very first time? Well, here's the point. As important as it was for them to persevere, what's being stated, it is equally important for the Jewish believers here to persevere. And, and here's where it comes to us. It's equally important for us to persevere as our lives continue to speak to faith. In other words, they will not receive their promise, and we will not receive our promise, until every person of faith has completed his or her race. Now think about this for just a moment. Since we were talking about race, let's think about it in terms of a relay. Let's say we're all running and we're all part of a relay team. And let's say I run my leg of the relay and I pass off the baton to Tom. Is the race complete? No, it's not complete. Tom has to run his leg of the race. And then he has to pass the baton to Brian. And Brian has to run his leg of the race. Uh, back here a few years ago, Brian and I uh, and Matt and Alina and a whole bunch of us, we gathered up down there in the woods at Scotts Hill on a particularly cold Saturday in January. In fact, it was January the 13th, and the reason I remember that, I scheduled to run that race on the day of my mother's birthday. She passed away, but back here a few years ago, and I said, Jennifer, let's do it. And it was a relay race, and we went down, and we spent the whole day. Most of us spent the whole day. Brian spent the whole day. Didn't you spend the whole day? Were you the last leg? He was the last leg. Brian was faithful and was there first thing in the morning, and we sat out there in the cold by bonfire, and the other parts of the team would come in and out. But while the race may have ended for me whenever I ran my leg of the race, the race was not complete until Brian, the anchor, ran the last leg of the race. The same is true here. The point is, is that their promise will not be fulfilled. What promise is that? Well, the promise that ultimately rests in their resurrected bodies, being in the presence of God, enjoying His presence, where life is now complete and whole and full, having received all of those things, so that eternity now moves forward with them in their resurrected bodies, living in the presence of God with all of those others who have persevered in faith. So, is your race today significant? The answer to that is, is absolutely yes. And it's not just a matter of logging time. Uh, we had a discussion back here not long ago in one of our Connect Group class. We were recalling the movie Cool Hand Luke. How many of you remember that movie? Have you ever watched the movie? Okay. Uh, there's a part of that movie, and I'm reminded of, I love Cool Hand Luke, but it was part of that movie where Paul Newman has just arrived in prison, and, and, the, uh, and, and, and the warden of the prison, he's there, and he is kind of talking to him and he kind of goes on and he, and he says, and I see here, and he tells him what he did wrong. Well, he, he cut the tops of the parking meters off in the town. He became inebriated, got inebriated and he did that. And, and then he said, and he goes on to tell him, he said, and, uh, he said, and what were you thinking when you did that? He said, well, boss, it's pretty clear. I wasn't thinking. And, uh, and then his next thing, and he says, and I see here where... Uh, you did very well in the war. And apparently he was a hero in the war. And he had all kinds of medals and all kinds of accommodations. But he said, but I see you got out the same way you went in. As a buck private. And he said, uh, yes sir boss, I'll just pass in time. Well, our lives are not about just passing time. If we see persevering in the faith as just passing time, 
to the end, we will miss what the author of Hebrews has said about the significance of what it is to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To trust in God for all of these things that we have sung about and trust in Him for all of these things that we encounter in the course of life because our lives, our faith, are significant. It is important. The mission and the work of the church is significant. Our faithfulness to trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ will impact our mission and our lives individually and as a group. I've thought about it in relation to us today. Even as Oak Valley Church, if we only see our times here as just a matter of passing time, then we will have missed the emphasis of the very work of God's redemption in our lives as it applies to His redemptive work. We've already read Creation is groaning, waiting for the adoption as sons. Creation's groaning, and we ourselves as believers should be groaning, awaiting the resurrection of our body. In other words, there is that sense that we are longing and waiting, and everything that the author of Hebrews is talking about is our lives of faith are like a race. And so while we are waiting on God, we are running hard in faithfulness in our mission and in our work, which is what the author of Hebrews is communicating to this body of believers. That's the context in which we live. And that's the significance and importance. The fourth thing this text shows us is how to continue how to continue. In other words, not just continue, but look at what it says in verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And in verse 3, consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So that you will not grow weary or faint-hearted. So what is, it, what is it that enables us, what is most helpful to us as we look ahead to be serious about living this life of faith, running the race to the end with endurance, without becoming weary, and without giving up, without becoming faint-hearted. And it says two things. Two things. One, look to Jesus. Verse 2, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. What is he talking about when he says look? Well, he's already explained it. Let's see what he says. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. In other words, we look away from other things and we look to Jesus. It may seem like he's repeating himself, look and consider. There's two different words with two different meanings. The word translated look means to look away from. Look away from what? Well, look away from the good things in life that you have a right to that are not wrong, but that ultimately will not help you in living faithfully and persevering to the end. Now, I'm going to kind of back back up for just a moment because I want to interject something. We were talking about the context in which we live and our lives. There's a whole lot said. I go to a lot of memorial services. I don't know that I've ever used this term, not that there's anything wrong with it. I just haven't used it because I hear it a lot. But I hear a lot about 
the legacy that we leave behind. So I, I don't may ask you, well, what does it mean to leave, leave behind a legacy? Well, in, in saying to leave behind a legacy, we're talking about leaving behind something when we're gone that somehow or another can be seen or identified with us that is a good thing that somehow benefits other people. So it's not uncommon, and this is just, again, it's fresh because we attended a memorial service last week, and I did one just a few weeks ago, but I've attended several memorial services here in the last month. But leaving behind a legacy. In other words, let me ask you this. If your life ended today, if your life ended today, what would be said about you as to what you had demonstrated in your life was most important? I'm going to say it again. If your life ended today, what would be said about you as to what, not, not what, not what you want people to think. What would be said about you as to what was most important in your life as to how you lived? It would be clearly, clearly reflected. I hear all kinds of good things at times about people. Yesterday I heard about Janice's uncle, that he was a good man. I hear that it's clear that family was important. Those things along the way. Good things, and I'm going to press this, and I'm not being critical here, I'm just going to press it because if we see our lives in the context of living out faith, living faithfully for the mission and the purpose of God, understanding that at the end, I'm not living my life for eternity to spend eternity with my family. I'm not living a life of life and living eternally to do something else. I am going to be with God. And I'm going to live with Him for all eternity. There is the possibility here that as we lay aside every weight that there is the point here that as a runner of a race that I am trying to strip down almost to bare bones so that my life has no encumbrances to keep me from running faithfully to the end, even the good things. So for instance, I don't run much anymore, but when I ran... I tried to run as light as I possibly could. In fact, there were a few races at times, some of these endurance races that I'd put on these belts and stuff, and then I finally, with all the waters and the jails and all that, and I finally gave up on that. Not that I was so fast, but I was so slow. I needed all the help I could get, and I could get jail along the way, and I could get water along the way, and nothing that I ran was so long that I had to have any of that but somehow, I just wanted to get light. I didn't want any encumbrances. That's the reason now when I run, I don't run with a phone and earbuds and all that kind of stuff. I don't want anything on me. I want to be covered, mind you. But I don't want anything on me that will encumber me. And that is the way that our life is to be lived. Good things need to be evaluated in the context of what we are saying about our lives as to what is most important in our life as it relates to our connection with people of faith for the mission and the glory of God to the end of spending eternity with them. So I just ask that question. That question's for you and it's for me. What's good in your life today? It's not wrong and not sinful but doesn't help you to the end to fulfill the mission of God. If He is most important and His redemptive work is most important, 
The second thing that we see here, we're looking away from that and we're looking to Jesus. Why? Because it gives us the reason why. One, looking at this is going to encumber us and we need to be looking at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And what does it mean when it says that He is the founder and perfecter of our faith? He is the ground of our faith. Okay? When we talk about the significance of faith, and here's where we have to be careful, because we hear a lot of people talk about, well, we just need faith. Well, we're not talking about faith in faith. Faith in faith, faith then is abstract. No, we're talking about faith in God. We're talking about faith in the atoning work of Christ. He is the ground of our faith. In other words, now I want you to think about it in this way. He is the author and founder of faith in that our faith is grounded to Him. But remember, in eternity past, and I don't know that it happened this way, mind you, but in eternity past, if you could envision the triune Godhead with the plan of redemption, the plan of creation, the plan of the redemption of man, it was all decided upon then whenever it took place in the mind and the heart of the triune God that faith would be what would please God. In other words, that is what would be looked at and commended. And that's the reason when we see it comes up with Abraham. It's not anything that he did. His faith was counted to him as righteousness. Who determined that? Well, the founder of faith. The author of faith. The one in whose faith is grounded. But now we also recognize that as we look away from this, we're looking at the fact that he perfected faith. What does it mean when it says that he perfected faith? Does it mean that he lived a life of absolute faith? Well, not entirely. It does mean that he came, and we have already heard, that he came like his brothers, and he was tempted in every way, like as we are, yet without sin. We hear that, and in that sense, he demonstrated faithfulness to the mission of God. He never wavered. He never sinned. And faith, as it is connected with obedience, we see him in absolute and perfect obedience. But the perfection of faith goes far beyond that in that he perfected all that faith pointed to. That is, he suffered and bled and died, bore the wrath of God, and in that was found pleasing to God, received by God, the Spirit of God came upon him and gave him life, resurrected him, brought him to life, and in that received the stamp of approval from the Godhead for all that he had done, and in that perfected faith, meaning that now as we trust him, we look ahead to the promise that not only was made to Eve and Abraham and all of those we recounted in chapter 11, but is made to us and is secured and perfected by Him. We look away from those good things and we look away from sin. What does it say? We put away the sin which clings us which clings so closely, we set that aside. Why? We've already recognized. We read. Take care, brothers, lest you sin and have an unbelieving heart, and in that it will affect your mission, it will affect your ministry, and it will affect your fellowship. And the second thing, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So we look away and we look to Jesus and now we are told to consider him. Different word. It means to compare Jesus. To compare him. 
It's the word that we uh, get uh, a logarithm from. The word that we get logistics from. The word that we get log in every Tuesday night when I go up here to the fish house. There's an electronic device in there I always struggle with. I have to ask somebody questions on how to deal with it because if it doesn't show me the same thing it did the week before, I'm confused and I think if I touch something, the world's going to blow up, I suppose. <laughs> but I, I have an electronic log that I have to keep up with. I have to log in and give account for my time when I'm in the sleeping berth, when I'm in the truck, when I'm driving, when I'm stopped, when I'm rested. When we're out of the truck, I, all of that is all calculated and computed. In other words, it is, there is a record of it, accountability, because it is compared to that which is the standard. Well, we're told here to give consideration to Him, to log in, to give consideration to Him against all these other things, but also to consider Him and the value of trusting Him. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, I'm going to have to get some help here, but I want you to take your worship guide. You received one when you came in. This is a case in point. Look in our confession, Romans chapter 8. Lord, you won't even need to look at it. She has Romans 8 memorized, by the way. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Okay, hear that again. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Case in point, consider Jesus. Consider Him. Why? Well, notice why it says, Consider Him who endured from sinners. Now, he endured this for sinners, but that's not what he said here. He endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What's the point? The point is, is that we are not looking to follow the path that Abraham took. We're not looking to follow the path that some other saint before us took. We follow Jesus and consider Him because He endured the cross. And He as our brother, African terms, our senior, most senior brother went before us. We follow Him to the end knowing that He endured in His innocence. He endured all of these things. Therefore, it strengthens us. It helps us, it ensures us, it enables us, it encourages us. You hear that? Encourages us to continue to the end because these current circumstances and sufferings, whatever they are today, whatever they have been, whatever they will be tomorrow, and I don't know what they will be, but they can be tremendously severe. For most of us, they could be very, very tremendously severe over against what we have already dealt with in our life. And we will do it because 
what is in front of us in His presence and His glory. Overshadows everything, anything that we might endure here. And then I want to close with this. And we're going to pick back up here next week. I want you to look at verse 4. I know there's a period at the end of faint-hearted. I'm not putting a but. I am going to state that there, for me, when I'm reading this, is a why here. And a reminder that in my struggle against sin, I have not yet resisted to the point of having to shed my blood. To date, that is true. It doesn't mean that it will always be true. It is pointing us to at least two things. One, it definitely says that my blood is not equal to the blood of Christ. Mind you, our blood is not equal to the blood of Christ. But it also reminds us that in our struggle against sin in our own life, and in our struggle against sin in this world, and it was for them, this was going to them, they were still living, that they had not yet resisted sin or been called on to suffer at the point of giving their life. But, a life of faith and perseverance can mean that. I leave uh, with this. There are a lot of good things that you can be remembered for. Will you be remembered for a life that without question clearly reflects that your faithfulness to God was what was and is today in the way that you live the most important 